I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Frank Isola, David Dennis Jr., Sarah Spanklin, Yates. Jason Tatum, minus 36. Draymond, foot resting. I'm Jalen Brown, and just because, as if anyone should need reminding, there is no carryover from game to game in these NBA playoffs, Tony. <laughs> Momentum is a myth. <laughs> right about that. I think my Bob Ryan impression is getting worse. Also, the three-pointer ruined the game. <laughs> Tony. That's my very part when he punctuates the point. Two things, and then I'm going to hang up and listen and maybe mute. Uh, it's Draymond. As tone setter and attitude adjuster for these Warriors. Imagine if Draymond was your claim adjuster. The claim could be against him, and he could do the adjusting. One stop shopping. He used Jalen Brown as a medieval footrest, okay? So that was one thing. Perhaps bigger, though, for this outcome, the third quarter. And the runs in these games. Uh, we saw it in game one, we saw it in game two. Just teams flip flopped. Jason Tatum, minus 36 for the game. I want to ask you about that as well. But Clinton Yates. Around the horn to you, what determined this Game 2 victory for Golden State? The most important thing to me that the Warriors did was that they came out with defensive intensity. You showed it right there when this game started. As soon as that tip was lost, Draymond came out and snatched the ball away from the Celtics, setting the tone in a way that didn't just affect them psychologically, but also affected their matchup. They switched them on the green. Things were different in terms of everything. Boston turned the ball over 18 times. You're not going to win an NBA Finals basketball playing, playing, that, playing that way. And when Gary Payton Jr. came in, in 18 minutes, him and Green defensively, they outscored the Celtics by six points. Didn't hurt that Al Horford came into game one, 35 going on 25. Game two, he's 36 looking like he's going on 40. But overall, I think that the way they clamped on him really affected the Celtics, and you saw that in terms of their offensive efficiency. Sarah Spain, if you could have the same offensive efficiency Clinton Yates just had, what decided yeah. the game? Well, a good way to start is to get those points you promised on Friday after I said the Celtics were going to win, uh, the lose this uh, game. Uh, yes, win, actually, so uh, self-promotion is the main call the mute button. There you go. Uh-huh offered up on uh, to follow up on what Clinton said 30 deflections 15 steals for Golden State they scored 33 points off turnovers they took a page out of the heat book you remember Israel Gutierrez trying to get that heat culture propaganda into our finals conversation last week by saying that the Warriors defense though ranked second cannot compare to what the heat were showing the Celtics well in this game they did exactly what the Celtics did to disrupt or, uh, what the heat did to disrupt and we know that the Celtics struggle especially with those turnovers because they're so good at half court defense this allowed the Warriors to score so much in transition and then it's just coming down to earth on the threes. They've only had 14 shots at the rim over the course of two games, Boston. 14 total over two games. They cannot create inside. So if they're not in 50-plus from outside, and if the Warriors are closing out better, this is what that game will look like. Mm-hmm. And, Sarah, yes, I was going to reward you the points. But since you already beat us to a David Dennis Jr. accurately predicting the outcome of the game, there you go. There you go. That's how you do it, David, on the one takeaway. 
I mean, come on. I'm going to talk about Wardell, Stephen Curry, and what he did in this game. The first, you know, six quarters, the Warriors were doing all this, you know, off ball running around, screen off ball. Celtics were switching everything. Third quarter, Stephen Curry said, bump all that noise, give me the ball, mm -hmm. set some screens, set a couple double screens, and this is what I'm going to do. And he had 127 points offensive rating. That's six more than the Celtics have allowed so far in the playoffs mm. at all. And he dominated and bent the best defense to his will, and the Celtics could not recover from that. And then on the defensive end, he had a few key yes. stops, and it was really about what he did to dominate this game and change the tenor of the series. We're looking at it without that Celtics fourth quarter, which, of course, yes, was dominant. Wars have outscored them by 31 points and all the rest of the quarters. This was about Steph and what he can continue to do. And Frank Isola. Yeah, David, it was about him because he played. Have we, have we gotten an explanation why Steph Curry only played 38 minutes in game one with two days off before game two? The Warriors' arrogance in game one came back to haunt them. And last night, they, played like a, they yes. treated that game like it was game seven. That's why you had uh, Draymond all over the place. How about that one play? He was like a pulling guard and blocked three different players. But David's 100% right. That was the best player on the Warriors, Steph Curry, knowing that he had to bring it on both ends of the court, not only making shots, but playmaking as well. Steve Kerr treated that game like game seven the way he should have treated game one when, for whatever reason, he's got Andre Iguodala out there. The guy hasn't played in forever. What is he playing 12 minutes for? I did not understand anything they did in game one. They got back yeah, to the Yeah, we're sensing that. Night. We're sensing that actually you yeah. held on to this for about four days. And now, hello, it's Monday and you're still on it, Frank. Um, all right, so you're calling them lackadaisical in game one or that it got away. So, so arrogant. Arrogant, yes, your word. Um, I go to you for that. Uh, Frank, the idea that Draymond <laughs> sets the tone and the way he said it yesterday, and, and you can take a look again. I mean, he uses Jalen Brown as a footrest at the back end of this play, whether you think there was a foul to start it or not. But did Draymond push it too far here? Could he have been ejected? Should he have been ejected? I'll tell you what. I thought it was a fascinating conversation between Steve Javi, the former NBA ref, with Mark Jackson. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Jeff Van Gundy about how referees, much like in soccer, when a guy has one yellow card, they know that next one and he's out of the game. Here's my thing about Draymond Green. He says, well, I've kind of earned that. Really? You cost them a championship in 2016 because a technical foul caused you to be um, suspended for game five. I would not have had a problem. And I know everyone's going to say they want to see the players play. I get that. But he came really close on a number of occasions of crossing that line. He better be careful on on Wednesday, because all he's doing is talking about how, yeah, they weren't going to eject me. Why would they? Nobody, nobody wants to see that. I thought he easily could have been ejected last night. He got away with one. David Dennis Jr.? You let, gotta let the players play, man. And Draymond knows this. Anything short of a stone cold stunner at the half court line, you let them play. You put, <laughs> give them a technical foul or a flagrant after the game if you need to. Draymond knows this. He knows that line. He's gonna push right up until that line. But I will agree with Frank. All this talk about should he or should he not have been suspended means that Draymond needs to pull it back for game three because the refs are they're yep. taking this like they're getting punked and they're gonna try right. to do something about the way Draymond right. has been acting. David, you think Draymond needs to pull it back? Clinton, if I could just jump to you for a second, because you believe what Draymond did and the way he set the tone gave them the victory yesterday. It set the tone for the game and turned what was this, this series around a little bit. Go ahead. 
this was going to be the game that you got this level of Draymond out of. Second one at home, desperation situation. You know that he's going to bring that kind of noise. And while I don't necessarily love it specifically from a basketball standpoint, guess what? It worked. And when it comes down to a seven-game series, you got to make sure that you maximize your options. And Draymond did that in game you two. You believe he should have been ejected? Clinton Yates? If he would have been ejected, I wouldn't have been surprised at all. I don't think this is anywhere close to suspension or anything We don't like see the medieval footrest kind of often, right, Sarah Spade? <laughs> to put your feet up on another basketball player, is yeah. that ejection worthy? I, this play, to me, I'll start by saying I was okay with it not being another tech and an ejection. I didn't think it was that egregious. That being said, as both a rule follower and a habitual line stepper, <laughs> I, I arrive at the say, place yeah. where I don't think the rules should change based on the context of the game, but I do think you have to be very careful down the stretch that it's for sure the call you're making because we are going to analyze it, and you don't want to disrupt the end of a game with a call that isn't right. So I don't like the idea of saying, oh, you can't make that call late in a game. Is it the rule or is it not the rule? It's like the scoring around here. It's like nobody knows. Okay. But I think you know, that you, you are a habitual line stepper, and honestly, if I was asking, who is the Draymond Green of this panel. I mean, Clinton Yates puts out a great resume for that. Sarah. Frank Isola puts Sarah. out a great, but hold on Sarah. a second, Frank. Hold on, Clinton. But yeah, Sarah, you may be that. Uh, last word, Frank Isola. Well, here's what's going to happen, though, too. Look at the way Kyrie Irving was treated by the Boston fans. Draymond Green is that guy, and he's about that life, and he's going to get it in game three, which is going to make the series even more interesting because he was going to say, bring it on. He's public enemy and number one in Boston starting on one. One more question here. Jason Tatum, I, I gave you the numbers. Minus 36. Whether you put any stock into that or that's just how the game played out. On the other side, Clay Thompson, his roller coaster, more down than up. Sarah, whose imprint right now is more concerned? I'm more concerned with Clay because uh, plus minus is not a totally useless stat, but uh, Tatum did offer a lot of points and he still played a role for his team. Clay was more of a decoy and might remain so unless he finds a shot. They're always going to have to cover him. Clay can get hotter than anybody, and that's hopefully what happens for Golden State for him. But I'm more concerned about him because we know he's defensively not the same guy after injury. Offense is where he brings it, and he hasn't. Tatum, I think that was a, almost like impressive, somehow offsetting all of his points with the defensive utility to arrive okay. at that point. All right. Uh, Clinton Yates, a very impressive mute there from Sarah Spain, I would add. Go ahead, Clint. Yeah, it's Clay for me for the defensive reasons, but also I think we're just sealing what Clay's ceiling might be in terms of him coming back and being 100%. That 100% might not be what it was beforehand, and that's something that Kerr's going to have to make an adjustment. Frank Isola. When all the starters were at the start of the fourth quarter, who was in the game? Clay Thompson, because mm -hmm. uh, Steve Kerr is worried about him. And all they were doing was having runoff screens. By the way, Sarah, about plus minus, it's a worthy stat when it suits my argument. Then it's worth <laughs> David Dennis Jr. <laughs> yeah, I think Udoka's going to start blitzing Steph on those screens. He's going to get the ball out of his hand. Clay needs to start hitting these shots. He was still yep. a negative nine for the series in spite of this game two blowout. Do you think Clay can get there? Do you think, or we've reached a point both in his one career game. and this series, you think he's got one game in him? Is that what we're, what we're playing for here? Yes. Hmm. Just needs to set Absolutely. up better. I think, I mean, it's not going to be – it's not going to be Willis Reed or Paul Pierce, but I think you'll see Clay have some heroics. <laughs> One more story here. Tampa 3, New York 2, how the Lightning came back on the Rangers to make this a series. Stamkos on the power play to start the third, which tied the game. And then it was under a minute to go. I mean, this pass from Kucherev is wow, and, and Pilata's clutch. Tampa gets new light. Pulls within 2-1 in the series of New York. Frank, what was the number one thing in allowing the Lightning to stay alive? Could the Rangers live to regret it? I, 
I think it was a four-minute power play just before that goal was scored where the Rangers did not convert. They had their two goals came on a power play. In that moment, they score, and it's going to be over for Tampa Bay. Give Tampa a lot of credit, but the Rangers, they let them off the hook, much like uh, Toronto did in the first round. David Dennis Jr., this was about the Rangers, yeah, letting the Lightning off the hook. Bunch of mental errors. Trouble with three minors that allowed uh, two Lightning goals. That should not have happened. Now Strom is out, and I'm concerned about how the Rangers are going to look uh, long-term in this series. Sarah Spain, how did the Lightning pull this one off? Yeah, I mean, I hate to echo them, but it's about who took advantage when they had the advantage. And the team that wasn't able to opened up the door a little bit to allow the Lightning to drive. I think they're, they're obviously extremely experienced. So they come in here where they can get behind like that and look at a killer 3-0 deficit and not lose hope, fight back, and then make this a series. Glenn Yates. Not buying that at all. The reason the Bolts got by in this game is because they dominated the 5-1-5 play and the even strength stuff. Outshot them by a mile, had way more scoring chances. If it's not for Shesterkin having a huge game, this might be a side blowout. I'm giving this to the Bolts for getting it together on the even strength. They previously had lost your favorite stat. Every, every panelist in the show is fighting for that stat. They haven't lost back-to-back games in the playoffs. Well, now they haven't lost back-to-back-to-back games in the playoffs. We're going to take a yeah, break yeah, here. Yeah. Buy or sell on the other side. the horn is presented by corona extra find the fine life live la vida mas fina part of happy hour i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome back to Around the Horn, brought to you by Chase. Coming to you from the Seaport District at Pier 17. 22 grand slams, increasing his record, and 14 French Opens, increasing his record. The wondrous, ludicrous Rafa Nadal. Just when you were ready to maybe say goodbye to him, or he was maybe ready to say goodbye to tennis, he wins another through the pain. He said he numbed his foot completely just to play. Clinton Yates, around the horn to you. What is 14 French Open titles, 22 majors overall, and this year run through Roland Garros mean for Nadal? The words that come to mind are stoic and redeeming. You mentioned the pain that he's putting himself through in order to be able to win this tournament. That is tremendous. Also, it's not like he knocked out a bunch of people that weren't otherwise there. He beat four top ten players on the way to this mm-hmm. title. It puts him overall in the category of my favorite men's tennis player of all time because he's the most stylish and he's the best. But you're not going to unseat Serena mm-hmm. in my world. So, Sarah Spain. Yeah, when it comes to men's titles, he puts some more distance between himself and Djokovic and Federer beat Djokovic on the way. And that that 
talk about who's the best is always going to include those three those three guys. So Nadal putting some distance between them is huge. Also, 14 for 14 when he makes the finals at Roland Garros. So if he shows up, he's won it every time. David Dennis Jr. 112-3 and three at Roland Garros. I was ready at the end of this to have the GOAT conversation and the Mount Rushmore conversation about Nadal. But at the end, I really just kind of felt sad. He was talking about his foot and maybe needing surgery and how much longer he's going to play. And we have to really cherish this moment. We're closing the door on one of the great tennis careers we'll ever see. Frank, I still... Don't close it yet. It's not... It's not Serena's fault that she was in an era where she doesn't have the competition like Rafa had with Roger Federer and obviously Novak Djokovic. But I would say this. The guy, I'm a Roger guy. He's a legendary player. But on clay, tremendous. 14 straight. But why was he seeded fifth? Why not a top two seed if he's the greatest player of all time? He should have faced Novak Djokovic in the final, not the quarterfinal. But he did go through him, Frank. Oh, Frank was just like a spray gun all over the place. On a Friday. Clinton, please respond to Frank Isola. Ain't nothing to say. Serena Jamika Williams is the best tennis player of all time in this household, and that's not changing that's not on point. any day that ends what in was her competi- What was her competition? She didn't have to face We're not doing this right now, Frank. We're celebrating it out. Because you can't. Because you can't. You can't. Wow. I don't need to. That kicked up enough. One of them has a building named after that. them in okay. Oregon. The other doesn't. We'll move on. Tampa Bay Rays acknowledging Pride Month with a rainbow patch on their jersey. And then five players refusing to wear those patches on their jerseys. Tampa pitcher Jason Adam to the Tampa Bay Times. Hard decision because ultimately we all said we want them to know that they are welcome and loved here. But when we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of guys decided that it's just a lifestyle that maybe, not that they look down on or anything or differently, it's just that maybe we don't want to encourage if it, we believe in Jesus who's encouraged us to live a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior. Sarah Spain, how does that all come off to you? Pride is about inclusion. So you don't love them and you don't welcome them if you're not willing to wear the patch. And calling it a lifestyle reveals to me that you've done not even a modicum of research or understanding on this topic. It's what tends to happen when a privileged class isn't affected by things. This is not just about baseball. That religious exemption BS, which is used in sport and otherwise, also allows for people to be denied health care, jobs, apartments, children, prescriptions, all sorts of rights. And so we have to stop tiptoeing around it because we're trying to protect people who are trying to be bigoted from asking for them to be exempt from it when the very people that they are bigoted against are suffering the consequences. When you say trying to be bigoted. They're trying to use religious exemptions to affect the opportunities, services, uh, available resources for people who are LGBTQ+. And a patch on the jersey in, in this way? In the case of sport, no. In the case of sport, though, they're double-talking if they're saying you're welcome while also saying that we don't encourage or, or we disagree with it, especially when there are devout people of every single religion that also welcome and are open to people who are born gay. David Dennis Jr., your read on it? Yeah, I would love to pile on these five guys for their anti-LGBT gesture that they just did, but really this is about the the fruitlessness of the performative gesture of having these patches and having these flags when clearly they're not the only five guys who feel like this. Otherwise, Major League Baseball would have more LGBTQIS plus 
players or any in these leagues. If you want to have something that really means anything while you're in there in Florida, speak out about the don't say gay bill or do something that really says that you stand for folks that are putting a flag out there and get distracted by these conversations about who's wearing a patch and who's not. Frank Isola. Yeah. If there's much a marketing statement they're making as much as a political one. You know, I covered uh, uh, Major League Baseball for two years. I spent in a clubhouse. I did the NBA for over 20. Believe me when I tell you, there are a lot of players that feel this way. They're just not going to come out publicly and say it. And I think when the leagues kind of go down this road, this is what's going to happen, the fallout from it. Glenn Yates. Yeah, and I'm fine with if you feel this way, not feeling compelled to come out and say it publicly, which is why I point to the Rays from a leadership standpoint on this. You can't have your players doing this. It makes you look like you're regressing and you're completely backwards. It's 2022. Just imagine if four or five guys decided they were going to say this in terms of, I don't know, military things on their jerseys. People would react completely differently, and it's not all that different. Rays, get your house in order. I'm not saying you guys suspend these guys. I understand what you're saying there, but but if we could just stay right here. The idea that baseball choosing to go down this road and a lot of guys feel this way. Sarah Spain, a a last word here. I just think that when we say there's a lot of guys that feel this way and when baseball does this, this is what's going to happen. Sounds like shrugging and throwing up our hands at something that is so antiquated and we should be so far beyond. It's not just about accepting bigotry within the halls of sport. It's about encouraging people to learn and get educated so that that changes. Well said. Uh, Antiquated. The word lifestyle that the raised players are invoking there antiquated the idea of uh hate the sinner i'm sorry love the sinner hate the sin that phrase is still based on hate and where are we if it's based on hate thank you for your time sarah spain frank isola david dennis jr clinton yates showdown two minutes it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans after all it's only pressure you got this adidas hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Around the Horn is presented by Corona Extra. Find the fine life. Live la vida más fina. Part of happy hour. Be honest. Mets Dodgers Saturday night. Did you know the rule? Did you know what was going on? Uh, Dave Roberts and the Dodgers tried to put in a position player to pitch when they were down five runs. But Buck Showalter said, hey, that's against the rules. And it is against the rules. You have to be down six if you want to use a position player to pitch. Clinton, fair or foul for Buck to enforce this rule. And who was the big winner here? Totally fair from Buck, and yes, I knew the rule because it was instituted before the COVID season as a way to try to save arms. However, I'm just glad the umpires have microphones to explain things to people now. This would have been a horrible 11 minutes if they did. <laughs> David Dennis Jr. 
I did not know the rule, but it ain't my job to know the rules. It seemed like the umps didn't know the rule. They were calling. They were trying to figure it out. That's the embarrassing part. Like, how do you not know some, like every single rule in baseball? That's your job. Clinton Yates knew the rule. Clinton Yates knew they changed the rule. Clinton Yates FaceTime. This weekend in Paris, Coco Golf lost two straight Grand Slam finals, one for the women's singles title and one for the women's doubles title. However, the weekend was certainly not lost for their family who showed up and supported her tremendously. She had some great words to say about how she keeps her mental health composed while losing and so on and so forth. But one great thing happened as well. She graduated from high school and she took pictures with her diploma with the Eiffel Tower. The Tour Eiffel, bien fait. What a great weekend from Coco Golf. Thank you for inspiring a whole generation of Americans, even old guys like me who just like watching cats. That's it for us. David Dennis Jr., you want to give a shout out to Cody Rhodes for playing hurt this weekend with the Torn Peck. Wrestling with the. I with saw the that. Hard times. Chest was Hard times. We're just weeks into this year, and the news is already nonstop. Two overseas wars, a presidential election already testing the democratic process, a former president in court. It can feel exhausting, borderline impossible to keep up with, but we can help. I'm Brad Milkey, the host of Start Here, the daily podcast from ABC News. Every morning, my team and I get you caught up on the day's news in a quick, straightforward way that's easy to understand with just enough context so you can listen, get it, and go on with your day. So kickstart your morning. Start smart with Start Here and ABC News because staying informed shouldn't feel like a chore.